And now, children, sixth grade and below, you are dismissed to go downstairs to your time of study. Everybody else, take your Bibles. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We did have a great set of interns this summer. It was awesome. Uh, we're so grateful for them. Again, we're so grateful for you that you are here this morning. Uh, we are in a study on the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're new and you just wandered into fullness, we're glad that you're here. Um, the theme of 2 Corinthians is this. God's power is perfected in our weakness. Uh, that's a theme we're looking at over and over and over again and have for some, really the whole summer. And I'm trying to finish the book of 2 Corinthians before the end of the summer, so we're taking a big chunk this morning. I want to read to you the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're going to look at the entire chapter. You see already in advance how many points there are. I'm going to try and move right along. Uh, but before I read it to you, I, I want to set it up in this sense. You're going to see in this passage some very, very familiar scriptures, if you've been in church very long. There are some passages in here that I've preached on a number of occasions. There are other passages that you're going to know well. And I, I want to, you know how you look at something in a certain light and you see it from that angle for so long that every time you look at it, the only way you can look at it is from that light? You with me? I want us to walk around to the other side today, to look at it from a different light just slightly than maybe you've seen this passage before, so that it'll help open us up to some more of the truths. Not to say the angle we were looking at was incorrect. You with me? It's not wrong. It's just there's more here, I think, than sometimes meets the eye especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because of this, Paul has been saying to the church in Corinth, hey, you're doing better. You know, he's, bring, he's brought a corrective word. Remember, you've got pre-1 Corinthians, a letter he sent to him. We don't have 1 Corinthians, which we have, which has a lot of correction in it. But then we have somewhere between 1 and 2 Corinthians, what's called the uh, severe letter that he evidently wrote to him where he really... Um, you know, it's one of those come to Jesus meeting letters. And now he's got this letter and a lot has changed, but there's some things that are still problematic within the church. Specifically, there are some false teachers, false prophets who have inserted themselves into the church and are saying things bad about Paul. They're saying basically, you know, he's not that impressive a physical specimen. He does, he's not much to look at. Uh, he doesn't speak that well. He is impoverished. What kind of prophet, what kind of apostle are you guys following that this Paul guy? They're using a Greco-Roman ideal to hold up to say, hey, if this guy were a real apostle, he'd live in this kind of house and drive this kind of car. Wait, that's today. He would look like, he would look like this. They're, they're bringing a point that's undermining the authority, not just of Paul, but of the message of the gospel of Christ. 
And so Paul, really in chapters 10, 11, and 12, the tone changes. And he's bringing now, he's kind of been setting things up, and he's going to bring the hammer down, so to speak. This passage is full of sarcasm. I like sarcasm. I think that there's a, you know, I, I have to confess. I, ha, I, I have to use it carefully, but um, I think it's a love language of its own. Uh, listen, he, he's, he's saying things here that are very important. And here's, here's the angle I want to bring as we read it that's going to kind of be different. Whenever we look at this passage that I read to you before about uh, the weapons of our warfare, the tearing down of strongholds, uh, all of those, we generally become very introspective. We, we start thinking about the strongholds in our lives, the strongholds in our hearts, the strongholds that have gotten us in a bad way. But really what Paul is talking about here is, when I come, I'm going to tear down some strongholds in the church. I'm going to tear down some strongholds that are being built up. And, and really, he's talking about our boldness against external resistance, that we have been given the power to fight in a way that is different than the world fights. We look at people differently than the world looks at them. And so this morning, rather than looking at this passage and just thinking, what is this saying about me? I'd like for us to look at it about what does this say about us and the boldness of the gospel going forth. Are you with me? Uh, do you understand the difference? Not that, not that tearing down strongholds internally. It's plenty of places in the scripture, in Ephesians and Romans, other passages combined with this. There is that idea. But this morning, I want to look at it from the angle of how are we to move from this place in boldness? Because Boldness isn't exactly what we think boldness is. So let's, let me read the passage. I'll hit the six points, and I think as we go along, we'll, we'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, and you know that word timid in quotations is there for a reason. He's kind of being sarcastic here. Again, you've got to read a little bit to understand what he's saying. I, Paul, who am timid, and that's what they've been quoting him as saying, went face to face with you, but bold toward you went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Let me just pause for a second. Do you already see the difference here? How he's speaking about, I don't want to have to be this bold, but when I get there, I may, and I'm, there's going to be some disobedience punished, bringing back into obedience, arguments torn down, pretensions, way people pretend but aren't really. Moving on. 
You, you are judging by appearance. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be, tr I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will, be, will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. A rich passage, and I'm just going to kind of skim across the surface, looking at it from this angle about boldness, our boldness that we have received. And that leads to the first point, which is this, that boldness is given by God. Boldness is given by God. Look at these two passages. Verse 8, he says, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us. He's saying, I'm boasting, I'm bold because the Lord gave us this authority. Verse 13, he says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service. Excuse me. God himself is assigned to us a sphere that also includes you. Paul makes it clear that he is bold, not because of his own strength, but because this is what the Lord this boldness that he has, this boasting that he has, it is coming from the Lord. Let me look at it from this angle. If you hang around someone long enough, you're going to see what they're proud of. I mean, you're going you're gonna to hear them start to speak over time about their job, their resources, their car, their house, their kids, their family, even their church. I mean, really, if you hang around people long enough, you'll, you'll see what it is that they're proud about. Paul, Paul says this, I want to boast, but I want to boast in the Lord because what I have comes from the Lord. Even, even church life has been swallowed up by the culture of our day. 
and the desire and values of our culture. If you listen to preachers very long, you'll hear in their preaching what they really value, what they're boasting in. I'm going to move on because um, I, I don't want to be ugly and I don't want to speak against. But what I want to do is this. I want to say, let us boast in the Lord. Let us boast in the Lord. Let us not get caught up in the culture of our day. Let us not begin to look at ourselves in a way that says, here's what really matters. Paul is directly referring to this passage in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord. Let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Paul realizes that the boldness that he has comes from God. By the way, if you try to get boldness from any other source, you'll not end up with boldness but ugliness. I'll come to that more in just a second. Second, boldness is not recognized by external appearances. Boldness is not recognized by external appearances. Paul is saying to this about the church in these passages, he's saying, look, you're looking at me from an external appearance. You're judging by the way I look or by the way I sound. Listen, we're when you do that, what you end up doing is comparing yourself to someone else, right? If we're going to compare external appearances, it's because I look different than Craig, or Craig looks different than me, or whatever the case may be. Now we're, we're down to this level, comparing what we look like to ourselves. And Paul says, look, real boldness isn't in this. Paul has described early in uh, historical documents. Here's a description of Paul. It says, a man of middling size, and his hair was scanty. I was going to say something ugly uh, to some friends, but I won't. His hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked. His knees were projecting or far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. Now, I don't know what you view Paul as, but that's not really the Greco-Roman ideal of what he looked like. I mean, that, that's how he's described. And his speech at times, you know, in, in Lystra, he was, he, they almost wanted to make him a god because of his speech. But at other times, a guy fell asleep and fell out the window and died because Paul went on and on and on and on and on. He had more than six points. He just kept going. And the guy fell out the window. I mean, he's, they're, they're criticizing him because of the way he looks and the way he sounds. And he is saying, look, it's not what we look like or what we sound like that makes the difference. If boldness comes from God, it's, it's from him. Listen, you and I, we cannot help it. We judge by externals. You can't, in your flesh, in yourself, you cannot help it. If you're an American and you've watched television any time in the last 20 years, you can't help it. You're driving down the street and see billboards, you can't help it. Because everything about our culture is about the external. 2015, we spent 13 and a half 
billion dollars on elective plastic surgery. Thirteen and a half billion dollars. Liposuction, breast augmentation, nose jobs. I could go down the list. I can't even tell you some of the surgeries that are now in the top ten. It's crazy. But it's all about the external. We judge by externals. But Paul says this, for it is not the one, for it is not the one who commends himself is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Listen, we've got to get past. We, we hear all the time, don't judge a book by its cover. But every single one of us judges a book by its cover. That is our first response when we meet people. And to break that, we've got to have the power of God at work within us. The boldness that you have will be limited to your external appearance if you believe that it matters. I don't know if I said that clearly enough. But what happens is, if you believe it's based on your ability to speak, or you're the way you look, then you will not be bold because you'll be limited by what you think about yourself. We need to move beyond that and understand that God's power is perfected in what? My weakness. So, praise God, ugly people. We have in our weakness God's power at work within us. Boldness is exercised third in meekness. In meekness. Listen to what he says. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you went away. See, bold is not the same as bombastic. Bold is not the same. Bold, but he's saying, look, I'm following Christ's model. My boldness is in humility and gentleness. See, that even runs contrary to our idea about boldness. We think boldness is yelling or screaming or being loud. or It's not. It's about the power of God that's at work within us, being released to do what he has for us to do. I mean, look what he says here. He says this, I beg, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He's not saying, look, when I come, I'm going to be yelling and screaming and hammering. He's saying when I come, the boldness of the power of God is going to be at work to do what God needs to do to clean house. It goes on and says, for, in verse 10, 11, for some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Some people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. And he's, Again, he's talking about the weight and power that he's going to carry when he comes. See, here's what I see as the difference. Boldness is meekness in the sense that we recognize that it is him, not us. Right? Meekness says, I am submitted to God and his power is working in me, through me, and when that happens, we handle the weapons that he's given us 
sorry, I'm moving too fast here. We're handling the weapons that he's given us in a way that's effective. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, we could stop right here. How does the world wage war? Loud, yelling, all the ways the world wages war. And Paul is saying, look, we don't wage war in that way. Why? Because our weapons are different. Our weapons, they're not the weapons of this world. They have divine power. Okay, again, stopping just for a second. If it has divine power, that means the power is not you, right? It's God-given power to do what got to tear down strongholds, take thoughts captive, get rid of pretensions, which is pretend things. I mean, pretensions really means pride and pretense, things that aren't real, that we think are real, that we hold on to. We have weapons that tear down that. Now, it tears down within us, but it also tears down so that the truth of the gospel can move forward. I mean, think about this. <clears throat> I, I I, you're reading through the Old Testament with me, right? Hello? Come on, shake your head, yes. Some of you can get forgiveness for lying later, but it, you just, you know, uh, what, what happens, look at all these passages. Joshua marches, what kind of weapons do they go against Jericho with? All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city every day, six days, seven days, sometimes yell as loud as you can. Go get them. I mean, what kind of battle is that? David goes into battle with Goliath with a slingshot. Who's the bold, bombastic one? Goliath is. Now, David stands up and says the truth, but you don't get the picture of him as the bombastic one yelling and screaming. This past week, did you read about Gideon? I love this passage. Gideon gathers the army. The Midianites are like, I, I mean, they're, they're almost described as like locusts. There are so many of them. And, and Gideon gets an army, and God keeps saying, you got too many, you got too many, you got too many. He gets it down to 300. I mean, look at what Mid, uh, Gideon fights with. Uh, okay, we got a torch. We got a jar to go over the torch. We got a trumpet. And we're going to yell real loud. What you don't see in any of those passages is a sword. I mean, they say the sword of Gideon, but really, they just kind of jump on themselves. And, and not to mention, one of my favorite passages in the whole Old Testament is when Gideon goes down in the camp of the night before, and he hears that guy talking about his dream. He's one, one Midianitis. Did y'all read this this week? One Midianite is talking to another Midianite, and he says, yeah, I had this dream last night, and a roll of barley came running through our camp. And the guy says, well, what does that mean? Well, it can't mean anything else, but Gideon's coming to get us. I mean, think of how, how stupid that is. We got a roll of barley wheat coming through. What does that mean? It means Gideon's going to come and destroy us. I mean, when God fights on your behalf, dreams about bread turn to empowerment. But we want to fight with our own weapons. We want to fight with our own intelligence. We want to fight when our own strength. See, meekness is this, saying God is the one who's fighting on my behalf. I'm going to submit myself to the plans and purposes of God to accomplish what he wants accomplished in the world around. I'm not even going to talk about politics right now. 
I could, but I, I'm not. I mean, is not all of our, I mean, in these first three points, I mean, our, our biggest concerns are about Donald Trump's hair, Hillary Clinton's pantsuits, uh, I, I, you know, we're judged by externals, we, we, whoever's the loudest might win. In God's economy, that doesn't work. If you want to set up a kingdom on earth, you go that direction. But if you want to see the kingdom of God expand in the areas around you, then follow God's plan. I did talk about politics a little, sorry. Fourth point, boldness is for building others up. Look at these passages. Just briefly, I think you'll get the point. Verse 8, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord has given us for what? The, he's saying boasting is, he's talking about boldness here. The boldness, the boasting I have, it is for this purpose, for building you up rather than tearing you down. Again, he's coming at this angle from Jeremiah. A lot of Corinthians has connections to the prophet Jeremiah. And he says uh, in Jeremiah 31, I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is saying the new covenant is going to come in order to build and to plant. There's going to be a tearing down, but that's already occurred. Now the building process is accomplished. Paul sees his ministry as building up the church. I mean, if the Corinthians were to think about this, who was it that established the church in Corinth? It's not, it's not a trick question. Paul did. Paul is the one who's, who keeps writing them letters. Paul's the one who's visiting them. Paul is the one who's trying to build them up. They, they're bad-mouthing the one who's trying to help them and build them up. And he goes on, even in uh, the next chapter, two chapters later, in chapter 12, he says, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. If you're sharing the gospel, why are you sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know it? You're sharing the gospel so that someone who doesn't know God can come into relationship with God. You're not, tear, you're not doing it to tear them down. You're doing it because you desire for them to be built up, for them to come into the truth of who God is and what he has for their lives. If, if I bring a word of correction to someone who's walking in sin, why do I do that? It is for their upbuilding. If, I'm get, if I get bold in that process, it's not to tear them down. To, to say to them, you're, you're, you're horrible, you're dirty, you've you sinned, you've done wrong. That's tearing down. It is in order to say, this is not what God has for you. God has something greater for you in this. It is for building. Boldness is not for tearing down. It's for building up. And it leads to the fifth point, and it's, it's a, just a different angle of the same idea, which is this, that boldness does not bring shame. Boldness does not bring shame. Verse 8, he says, Even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord has given us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Now, here's the idea. First, there are two corresponding ideas. One is this. I'm not going to be ashamed for speaking the truth in boldness. You might say, well, that seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? Why should you be ashamed of bringing the boldness? Because the enemy is that bad. 
he will make you ashamed of speaking the truth. If, if that wouldn't be the case, then why would Paul, even in Romans, need to say this? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God. Well, why does he even need to say that? Because too often we're ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed in what sense? We, we, we're just intimidated. And Paul is saying, look, in the boldness of the Lord, speak the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ that he's given us. That's one angle. We should be bold in speaking the truth. But the other part of this is, is that sin, lies, get people in bondage. And they become ashamed of the sin. They become ashamed of the sin so that the sin then becomes a stronghold in their life so that they become more ashamed of it and they just keep walking deeper in lies. Boldness exposes the lie and builds up so that people can walk in truth. I mean, think about this. Think of just, just an example. and I, It's just kind of made up partially from some experiences of um, counseling I've had. Imagine a woman who has uh, had, had sex with men she was not married to, premarital sex in college and in high school, because that's what the world said. Hey, if you want to be loved and accepted, have sex. That was not a big deal. Then senior year in college, she becomes, she comes to know Jesus. She gets saved. But the shame of what she's done in high school and college now makes her think, oh, no, Christian guy's going to want me because I'm not a virgin. So she ends up making a bad decision and marrying an unbeliever because she thinks this is the only guy who wants her. Then she gets married. Now she's ashamed that she's married to an unbeliever, and she's ashamed of the sex she had before she got saved. So now she's not even being intimate with her husband. They're driven apart. She's mad because he won't be the spiritual head of the house. Eventually, she ends up a place where she wants to get divorced. Why? Because everything is fabricated on a house of lies. I mean, what's the truth? The truth was, when she came to know Jesus Christ, he forgave her totally and completely. Somebody needed to share that with her, that you are totally and completely made whole in Jesus Christ. And God has a plan and a destiny for your life. But what happens is the lies of the enemy just start building. And they stay hidden in the darkness. And in the darkness, these strongholds are built up so that they make, we make, all of us, bad choice after bad choice after bad choice because sin brings shame. Shame brings strongholds, lies that are believed in our lives. Now, I know I'm talking internally, but what we have the power to do is in boldness speak truth to people. You are loved. You are accepted. God has a plan for your life, a destiny for who you are. He redeemed you totally and completely. By the grace of God, you can walk in this life Boldness, see, doesn't bring shame. And I, and I wish I could say this had been the case in the church, but we have been terrible at this. Instead of helping people and confronting them in love and building them up, 
we've shamed them further. So let's bring life. Let's bring the love and joy and that Paul, I, Paul is saying, look, I, I've got some things I'm going to correct, but it's not to make people ashamed. It's not to tear them down. It's to actually build them up. Last point. Every one of these is a sermon on its own, by the way. I understand. But hopefully, in doing so, I'm, I'm hitting the high points of this chapter. And Here's the final point. Boldness is given within a specific sphere. Boldness is given within a specific specific sphere. I'm having trouble saying that. Verse 13, he says, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. So Paul is in this chapter, if you read it, he's saying, look, I preach in Corinth. I want to preach in Rome. I want to go even to other places. He's talking about Spain. He wants to he wants his sphere of influence to expand, right? Now, I've talked about sphere of influence before. Uh, sphere of service is the way Paul is looking at it. But I've talked about how God gives each of us a sphere of influence. Look at Romans 12, this passage, other passages that speak of this. God wants you to be bold within your specific sphere. Think of it like this. Um, during the week, if you drive by our church, I would encourage you to slow down. Because in our parking lot, Vestavia's finest uh, is many times giving people tickets who come down the hill. Now, I try to be very nice to them, go and offer them water, see if they need anything, tell them they can use our restroom if they need to, because one day they're going to get me. I know. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm driving all around Vestavia. They, they're sticking stop signs up all over the city. Someday, it's a, more likely my wife, they're going to pull over, but it could be me. Anyway, if the police officer pulls me over and says, you, you've been speeding, he, he is within his sphere of influence, his designated authority to write me a ticket. And I understand that. I mean, it's part of the social contract of being a part of the United States of America and living in Vestavia. I've submitted to this. But if the police officer comes up to me and says, hey, I got a sister, and I've heard you got a son. I, I, if you're, if my, your son doesn't marry my sister, then I'm going to give you a ticket. Now, I understand he's now outside of his sphere. Are you with me? And he's operating outside of the authority that he has been given. When God gives you a sphere, I believe he gives you the authority, the power to speak and work within that sphere of influence. Now, there are two things here at work. Number one, many of us are intimidated to walk in boldly in the sphere that God has given us. And I want to encourage you to step boldly by the power of God to influence. It's called a sphere of influence for a reason. You're influencing your sphere. You're serving your sphere. You're speaking the gospel within your sphere. So be bold within that sphere. Second point is this. Don't, don't be bold in a sphere that God has not given you. In this sense, by bold, I mean, don't, 
Ask God for wisdom about the sphere and expand your sphere. Paul makes it clear, look, I'm not going to speak this same way. I'll give you an example. Paul addresses the church in Rome that he didn't plant, that he didn't start, that he just wants to come and speak to, totally different than the church in Corinth. His tone in the book of Romans and the church in Corinth are totally, totally, you're almost like, is this the same guy talking? Why? Because Paul understands Rome, that church is not within my sphere. Now, Paul, this is the apostle Paul talking. I mean, he could have said, that gummit, I'm coming to Rome and you guys better hear me. But he didn't. He said, it, it's a letter of introduction. Do you understand the difference? Now, I say that because whenever the church has stepped outside their sphere and try to operate in a way that they're not supposed to operate, we get our rear ends kicked every single time. Why? Because we're unprotected. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. I'll give you one example. I know the hour's late, but this is a really important point. Back in the 60s, early 70s, there was a movement known as the Jesus Movement. You know, uh, a large number of those who, um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, love, sex, drugs, rock and roll, they found that that really had no meaning in life. So a large number of people in their 20s and 30s who had been in that culture came to know Jesus. I mean, it was a, it was a revival of people at that age coming to know Christ. Some of you are products of that. Some of you are products of... Um, the Jesus Revolution, as it was known, of the 60s and 70s. During that time, um, it, I mean, there were lots of, you know, hippies. Let's just, hippies coming to know Jesus. And there wasn't a lot of discipling taking place. I mean, people were coming to, lots of baptisms, not a lot of discipling. In South Florida at that same time, a very significant charismatic figure, pastor, fell in immorality. And four other pastors in the South Florida area uh, came together as kind of an a, a accountability team for this guy. Those four guys were Bob Mumford, Derek Prince, Charles Simpson, and Don Basham. Very significant names in charismatic circles, about, especially in South Florida. And they realized that, hey, this could have been us. This guy falling in MRL, it could have been us. We need to be accountable with one another. We need to help one another and make sure this doesn't happen to us. So they came together, and they found it was so life-giving. They found it was so powerful. Eventually, a fifth guy uh, named Ern Baxter joined them, and they became known as the Fort Lauderdale Five. And they're like, we need to spread this to everybody. Everybody needs to be accountable. Everybody needs to have this kind of relationship. So they thought of this system of thought and started spreading it around where they're like, hey, we're, we're accountable to one another. Now you be accountable to us and people be accountable to you and you they then will just keep passing it down. And they thought of this scheme, really, where accountability goes downward and tithes go upward. You know, you tithe to the level ahead of you. You tithe to the level ahead of you and then they're account you're accountable to them. It turned into a mess families were destroyed. People's lives were destroyed. It, it was known as the discipleship movement, the shepherding movement. Now you're like, wow, I, where, where did it go? 
I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Let's be accountable to one another. Let's disciple all these hippies that are coming in. They need discipling, right? They need raising up in the maturity of the faith. The change was this. It left the local church. It became a pyramid scheme. It, it, in my mind, here's what happened. It left the sphere that God had given them, and they started to walk boldly in spheres that they were not given. And when it happened, people's lives got destroyed. Sometimes some things that sound really good are not. Because God has not given us that sphere to harvest. And whenever you walk outside of the sphere that who gave you? God gave you. If he hasn't given you that sphere, whose sphere is that? Well, let me just say, it's not yours, and it's not his. I'll give you one other example, and this is going to test you just a little bit, so please be patient with me. This passage about tearing down strongholds has been used for the church at times to walk in spheres that we were not given to walk. For instance, if I can tear down strongholds, why can I not pray to tear down the stronghold of prostitution over the whole city of Birmingham? Makes sense, doesn't it? I'm going to pray against the stronghold of whatever, immorality, over the whole city of Birmingham. I, I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to walk in the sphere that God has given you. I mean, if that could have been done, don't you think Jesus would have prayed over Jerusalem? I tear down the stronghold of religious spirits over this whole city right now. Jesus battled when he came in contact with it. If a man was demonized, he did battle. If things happened... He battled it right then. God gave him power. Paul has got power to tear down strongholds within the sphere that God has given him. I want to pray, I want to encourage you to say, be bold in your sphere. Ask God to expand your sphere, but not walk in spheres that God has not given you to walk in. Because you'll be, basically the idea is here, I think you'll be open to attack. You'll be uncovered. Bad things will happen. Let's just put it like that. Here are my points today. They're all over the place, I understand. But this is a rich passage. I want to encourage you to look at it, delve into it, love it. Walk in boldness, not fear. Boldness is given to you by God. Boldness isn't recognized by externals. It's not about what we look like or sound like. It's about his power at work within us. It's exercise in humility and gentleness, not heavy-handedness. It's given for building others up. It's given so that it doesn't bring shame to either you or to the people around. It's for the tearing down of strongholds of shame in their life. And it's given within a specific sphere. I want to encourage you this week to walk in the boldness of the Lord.
Lord, we thank you this morning for your word and your grace and your power that has worked within us. Lord, I pray. Lord, we, we need wisdom on how to walk in this boldness. God, only you can help us here. Lord, we want to confess we are not ashamed of the gospel because we believe it is the power of God. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would show us our sphere of service, our sphere of influence, and that, God, within that sphere, you give us a boldness. And at times when we come to a place where we don't know what to do, God, you would just speak within our hearts and our lives so that we'd speak the truth of God in love and meekness and gentleness, but we'd speak it nonetheless. Lord, we thank you for the weapons that you've given us and pray that, God, you would direct our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to do within us and through us and to us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We still good? <laughs> it's a lot to digest, and I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would speak to your heart and your lives in the days ahead to give you wisdom about how to walk in all of this. We're going to worship God through the giving of an offering. If you're a guest with fullness today, thank you for being here. If you wouldn't mind taking out your connection card that's in your bulletin and putting it in the offering plate, fill it out. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. We'll pray for you this week. There are a lot of announcements in your bulletin. Uh, again, Wednesday night classes don't start again until September. We're taking a break. There are other opportunities for service that are listed there. Uh, please read them. Avail yourself of those opportunities. Let's worship God through the giving of a tithe or an offering or a prayer request even. Die. 